quickly if you need to make notes. And uh, I think it is on page four. There's a blank page to write your notes in there. So um, what an amazing time of worship, eh? That was just, I was thinking if, if you're new to church, you might think that might, was a bit strange, right? But I got three kids. How do I know when my kids are excited? The volume goes up. Daddy, come and look. Like they shout. Sometimes as God's children and we get excited about God, it might sound a bit louder. So don't let it freak you out. It's because we love God so much that we worship Him in that way. So last week we asked the question, where do you want to get to? Are we going to follow kind of false purposes and let them dictate to our life, rotate around a black hole? If you were here last week, you'll remember that analogy. Are we going to make up our own purpose or are we going to go to the maker for our purpose? And if you missed last Sunday, you can catch up the uh, sermon online or on the podcast. Ephesians 2 verse 10, this is the, the, the verse for the whole series. For we are God's workmanship, His masterpiece, His handiwork, His poetry, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that He has prepared in advance for us to do. And so today we're looking at week two, but the first kind of big purpose that God designs for all His children, one of the general purposes of God, and this is Christ, my purpose is Christ, the title for today. So on Sunday mornings, if you weren't here last week, on Sunday mornings, we're going through the big five purposes that God wants all His children to do. On a life group evening, Tuesday night or Wednesday night in our life groups, we are discussing more of the specifics, those things that make us unique, the fingerprint that God has for each of our lives. If you're not in a life group, you're missing out. Please chat to me afterwards. I will hook you up to visit one. And then this devotional booklet, the back half, has got six weeks of devotions, and we'll be on chapter 7 tomorrow morning, Monday. It's a new section there, page 27. This is to help us process some action points. And so the big ideas in the series, if we are listening in a big group like today, if we are discussing in a small group, and if we're thinking alone at home, we're going to make massive strides as we go forward, massive strides as little one comes down the aisle. That's so cute. It's the most adorable age because like the moment she moves, everyone's eyes are like, oh no, awesome that she can be here. Thank you for bringing her. So my purpose is Christ, week two. Jesus said this to his disciples, come and follow me. Come and follow me. The first and the most important answer, Christ calls us to himself. In this series, we're discovering all that God wants us to be and do, but before He calls us to do something, before He calls us to go somewhere, UK, <laughs> He calls us to someone. He calls us to Himself. My purpose is Christ. So we're going to read a few verses from Philippians chapter 3 and work that out, but here's some highlights as to why Paul says, my purpose is Christ. In verse 7, Paul says, he speaks about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. In verse 9, he says he wants to gain Christ and be found in Him. Alana, she's welcome to stay. Okay, really she is. She's very cute. <laughs> Where was I? Verse 9, verse 10. I want to know Christ. In chapter 1, verse 200, Paul says, for me to live is Christ. 
In other words, Paul says the big aim of our life is to know Christ, to be with Him, to get to know Him, to draw close to Him. And this morning, we're going to look at three ways that we can draw closer to Christ. And my first point is this. Number one, realize that Christ alone fulfills. Realize that Christ alone fulfills. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. I'll read it for you. He says, a car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Well, Elon Musk wasn't born back when C.S. Lewis wrote these, but I think we get the idea, right? Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn and the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about knowing Him. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from Himself. Yo. Because it's not there. There's no such thing. Profound. But, but what is the petrol that we do put in our tanks? This is what we're going to look at. Apostle Paul, he kind of gives some answers as he reflects on his own life. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter, sorry, not Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 3 to 6. And then a few others. Philippians 3 from verse 3. He says, We who serve God by His Spirit who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, Paul's looking back on his life and before he came to Christ, and he's about to list and run through his credentials, his trophies, his prizes, the things that he holds valuable to himself, the things that he used to pour into his tank of his life. He carries on, if, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. I've got more. You know that guy on the playground who's like, yeah, but my dad's better than your dad. No, 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 but my dad's got a, whatever, double cab, I don't know. <laughs> Paul's saying, I've got more reasons, more trophies, and he lists them here. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul, he runs through his credentials, and most of us probably don't get them because they're first century Jewish male. We're 21st century, it's very different. Let me try and kind of work them out. Paul's basically saying, I'm top of the class. Pick any category, I'm the achiever. He speaks about his remarkable upbringing, how his parents had him circumcised on the eighth day. That was a thing for Jewish people. Nowadays, I guess, some of us do put our value, our credentials, and our upbringing, and our family, maybe our family name. My surname is Askoff. I got ragged at school a lot about <coughs> coughing from, you know, that's other parts of your body. I know, I've desired a new name. <laughs> but a year after Candace and I were married, she's like, hey, babes, you know this new surname I've got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great history, hey. Can we change it? <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, you're a bit offended now, you know? Oh, well, you know, you know, like Ascot is far more posh sounding. Can't it be Ascot? It sounds, you know? But my parents are still alive, so it's not, not happening. 
But we pride ourselves in our name. What about the country we grew up in? Paul says, I'm, I'm, I was born in Israel. This is God's promised land. You can't get a better country to be born in. What about us? I guess today, sometimes there's a hierarchy of different countries. When I finished high school, all of my, not all, a lot of my friends left to go to the UK to earn the pound. In that time, the UK was the country to, to go to. Paul speaks about the tribe he belongs to. I said, I was part of Benjamin's tribe. I guess today also we value the tribe we're part of. Maybe it's the sporty tribe or the rich tribe or the intellectual tribe or the arty tribe or the tribe who dresses a bit weird. I don't know. The problem with tribes is that we, we end up working hard to get to them. <laughs> Finally, we're accepted in that tribe. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to stay there. And it's, uh, it's hard work. Paul speaks about his language. He says he could speak Hebrew. Uh, the Middle Eastern world was dominated by Greek speakers at that time. He said, actually, I can speak Hebrew. I guess for us today, sometimes we pride ourselves in our language of how many we can speak. Or we might look down on those who can't speak our language or who can't speak it properly. Candace grew up in, a, uh, in South Africa, but her parents are French. And so they wanted to teach her French. And um, they got a French tutor, but this tutor was from Gambia, I think. And the, the accent is quite different, Gambian French to Paris French. And so Candice developed this not-so-Paris accent. And uh, her parents weren't so comfortable with this, and they stopped the lessons quite quickly. <laughs> Sometimes the language is something we put a trophy on. What about our denomination? Paul says, I was a Pharisee. As today, even in Christendom, we have different denominations. There's Methodists, Presbyterians, Catholics, um, Charismatics, Baptists. What others are there? Anglic There's all kinds, all kinds. But somehow we prize our particular one. Paul says he was a Pharisee. What about our natural strengths? Paul said he had a zeal. He was a go-getter. He was persecuting the church. That's how much zeal and action he had. Today, many of us, we, we're like Paul, we're extroverted, go-getter, make it happen kind of people, naturally confident. Paul says, when I look over my life and all my achievements, these were the things that were trophies to me. They were gains. They were advantages to me. They were elevated in a society. Those things were important at that time. And Paul says, I was top of the class. No one could have beaten me in these things. They gave him a big advantage in life. And they made him feel fantastic about his place on planet Earth. But I wonder what Paul would have said if he were alive today. What, how would he have rewritten this for our society if he was top in the class and all these things? Let's imagine for a moment. Maybe he would have mentioned romantic love. I found the love of a lifetime. Oh. Maybe he would have mentioned money. You know, by the age of 35... I sold my first startup to Amazon for $5 billion. Maybe you would have written that. What about security? You know what? I didn't live flush, but I, I put enough away in investments that my old age, very comfortable. Success. Maybe he would have said he was first in the class, first on the playground, the best in his field of expertise, number one in the country for his chosen arena. Maybe he would have spoken about family. I was surrounded my whole life by family. My wife loved me to the end. My kids wanted to be in the home all the time. We, 
family was, we were, the, we were the best family environment ever. Maybe he would have spoken about his looks. I was ripped. Men wanted to be me. Women wanted to be with me. <laughs> Maybe he would have spoken about power. You know, people listen to me. When I walk into a room, there's like a hush. They hang on every word I say. Maybe you would have spoken about comfort and luxury. Said something like, well, you know, my holidays and my home, they were featured on top billing every month. <laughs> top of the class. You know what? None of those things are bad in themselves. None of them are bad in themselves. We grow up in our society that tells us those things are important, that elevates those things, that those are gains. But something happened to Paul, and he looked at those things differently. End of verse 7, he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's had a turning point. He's changed his view. Those things that were a benefit are now like a loss, he says. So much of what society values, Paul discovers, is not really important. It doesn't really matter in the long run, in the light of eternity. And like, like us, probably many of us, Paul discovers that those things don't satisfy us. They can't fulfill us ultimately. They overpromise and underdeliver. Take fame. The average teenager and 20-something just wants to be famous. Even my nine-year-old dresses like a gangster. I don't know if gangsterism is professional, like you could be a professional, but like he dresses like a gangster. It's very interesting. And the, the language is also similar. <laughs> Yo, dog. Hey, brah. Like, I'm sure I never spoke like that when I was primary school. If you have any parenting tips, please let me know afterwards. <laughs> Fame. Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins, famous actor, says, I meet young people all the time and they want to act and be famous. And I always tell them that when you get to the top of the tree, there's nothing up here. <laughs> Most of this is nonsense, a lie. What about romantic love? Fame doesn't fulfill us. Romantic love. There's a book by a guy called Christopher West called Fill These Hearts. He tells a story about a date he goes on with his wife. And they're putting their jackets down. They're sitting at the table and they're kind of settling in. And uh, the wife starts a conversation and she says, I love why do you think our marriage is in such a good place? He's got an idea where this is going, right? So he kind of says, you know what, my love, I've, been, I've actually been thinking quite deeply and I've realized deep in my soul, you can't satisfy. She goes, you know what, I've had the same kind of thought. You're not able to satisfy me either. And he writes us, he says, this was the cause for great joy and celebration. We'd never felt closer or freer in our love, only to the degree that we stop expecting others to be God for us, we are free to love others as they really are, without demanding perfection of them, whether it's a spouse, kid, brother, etc., etc. Even romantic love can't satisfy us ultimately. Even those things that do give us some element of fulfillment They'll never last forever. They can't fulfill us ultimately like God can. 
What about the approval of other people? We try our hardest to get into a certain group and eventually we make it. What happens after a few years? Well, someone younger, someone fitter, someone more attractive joins the group. Your shares start to go down. <laughs> your ratings drop and you end up leaving it. It doesn't satisfy even great friendship circles. Paul realized that the world and society had been duped. We've been conned, deceived, whatever word you want to say, that these things that supposedly promise fulfillment can never be ultimate. They can't be God to us. They can't satisfy the deepest part of our heart and our soul. Well, what does fill us then? Paul carries on in verse 8. He says, whatever were gains to me, the things I thought were really impressive and important, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He didn't want to gain for Christ. He didn't want to gain from Christ. He wanted to gain Christ. Paul kind of broke the fixation in his heart. He let go of all the other stuff so that he could lay hold of Christ. You see, when you're holding on to other things that don't satisfy, you can't really hold on to God. You've got to let go and hold on to him. There's a fullness in Jesus that you will not get anywhere else, friends. Jesus alone can satisfy the deepest desires of our heart. Not just for a day, but for like 10 billion years, eternity, God can do that. Second thing that we learn from Paul of how to grow closer to, to Jesus, it's kind of in a quote here, it's cast your deadly doing down. It's from an old hymn cast your deadly doing down. And, and the chorus goes like this, cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him, in Him alone, gloriously complete. What is this deadly doing? What does he mean by, what does the, the writer mean by cast your deadly doing down? Basically doing something because it's, you think it gives you credit with God. Those are dead works. That's like religion. Paul tried to achieve a righteousness with God. He said he did all the laws of Moses. He was faultless, all the moral laws, 10 out of 10. He thought it earned him something, some kind of place, some kind of righteousness with God. But then he says in verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. In other words, there's a righteousness that I can achieve. It's hard to get. Good works. Try my best to be a better person. But then Paul says there's a righteousness that comes from God that is from grace, that is received. The first one we have to earn, our good works, our moral behavior, trying to pull up our socks, however you want to describe it. The other one is by grace. It's by faith, and we receive it by putting our faith in Jesus. You know what the difference between religion and the gospel is? Religion says, obey, obey, obey. Do this stuff, 
and then God will accept you. The gospel says you are accepted by God. Live in that place. <laughs> Enjoy your acceptance and then obey. It's very different. Terry, can I have you up here for a demonstration? Let's pretend Terry is God. Do stand on there. No pressure. Don't say anything. It can and will be held against you. Religion says this. Religion is obey, 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 and then God accepts you. Imagine starting every day with a deficit. You feel like you're behind. You've got to impress God. You've got to get His attention. You've got to whatever, and you are striving and working towards God. You're trying to get there, and by the end of the day, it's like you haven't quite got there. The next day you wake up and you, my word, God feels so, what am I going to do to get God's attention? How am I going to impress Him? How can I get some brownie points? And we end up working, trying to win His favor and approval. That's religion. Paul says, there's an acceptance we get from God we're born again. We are friends with God. We're already standing here. Bible says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We do nothing to get here. There's no effort required. We are in Him. Paul speaks about a Sabbath rest. We have a rest. We're not striving to do stuff and impress God. We are accepted on the basis of what Jesus did. And from this point of living here in security, we can go and do stuff for God. Thanks, Barry. We don't work towards God. We work from God. And we can't impress Him. We can't. <laughs> Os Guinness, in his book, The Call, says, the main competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for Jesus. <laughs> for those who've grown up in church circles that might sound like a hauntingly true, but we are to be satisfied in God before we do anything for Him. He calls us to Himself. Think of Mary and Martha in this regard. Mary sits at Jesus' feet, hearing Jesus' teaching. Unusual for a woman to be allowed to do that, right? Martha, what is she doing? She's in the kitchen cooking, preparing, cleaning, working hard, she compares herself to her sister. It's not fair that Mary's not doing it. Lord Jesus, tell her to come and help me. Can't you see how busy I am here? And she's working as hard as she can to make the food. It's not wrong to have food. <laughs> but somehow Jesus sees into her heart. And he can see that she is working to try and impress him. And Mary is working from a place of, well, God's here. I do nothing. I'm accepted already. But, Mary, but Martha's comparing herself, she's critical of others, she can never do enough working for God versus working from God. And we are primarily called, friends, not to go somewhere or do something, but to be with someone. Do we put an emphasis on our service, on our productivity, on our usefulness, on working for God at the expense of our relationship with Jesus? Very challenging. Do we put our, do we strive to prove our significance by doing stuff? Or are we content like Mary just to be with Jesus? Number three, last point this morning. How do we get closer to God? Sounds really simple and 
basic, but it is. We just need to do it. <laughs> Decide to get closer to Jesus. Make a decision. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, you can have as much of God as you want. You think about that. You can have as much of God as you want. In other words, you will never be closer to Christ than you want to be. <laughs> you determine, I determine how close I am to Jesus. And nothing, hear this, nothing can stop your spiritual growth. Nothing can stop your spiritual growth except you. <laughs> because you determine how close you get. You determine how much of a prize Jesus is versus the other stuff in the world. You determine your priorities. You determine how you spend your time. You can have as much of God as you want. One way to grow closer to Jesus is just to be very clear that this is what you want. I decide that I want to get closer to God. This is how Paul puts it in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, and to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Paul wants nothing more than to be in daily contact with Jesus. That's his greatest aim in life, it seems, to experience the power of his Holy Spirit and to experience Jesus' comfort in difficult times. In verse 9, he says that he wants to be found in him. In other words, if someone comes looking for Paul, Paul's buddy opens the door. Where's Paul? I don't know. I think he's with Jesus. <laughs> like imagine that was said of us every now and then. If you want to grow closer to Jesus, then decide. Make a decision. Choose. Just do it, Nike would say. Determine to do what it takes to get closer. If you've been following Jesus for many years, you'll probably be able to list a whole bunch of helpful things and habits, daily habits and weekly habits of how to draw closer to God. Prioritizing gatherings like this. Sunday is actually the first day of the week, although we talk about the week ending on Sunday. But traditionally, it wasn't. It was the first day of the week. So imagine starting your week off in the presence of God, hearing the Word of God, hanging out with the people of God. And I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here today. But that's one way to grow closer to God. Hang out where He is, where His people are, where His Word is being preached. You can pray anytime, day or night. You can sing in your car if you want. You can read and reflect on Scripture every day. This devotional book is a good place to start. Six weeks of devotions here. If you're only starting tomorrow, you need to do two a day to catch up, just the first week. Find other people who are in the same space as you, spur one another on, the Bible says, to love and good deeds. Find a life group and connect with people. Hold each other accountable. Find times of solitude. There's so many things we can do, practical things to help us get closer to God. We just need to make a decision to do it. And then we just need to do it. Can I tell you a secret? Why is it so hard to every day draw close to God? Or maybe it's just me that battles that, I don't know. <laughs> do you know why? Because it's actually so simple to do. But because it's so simple to do, it's so simple not to do. <laughs> right? Ah, I'll catch up next week or, or whatever. But actually it's a decision that we make to draw closer to God. So the Bible says if we seek Him, we will find Him. 
might sound like an impossibly hard thing to find a God who's invisible, <laughs> right? But God, He wants us to find Him, and He's not elusive. He doesn't, he doesn't hide Himself that we can't find Him. I think of my kids. Um, Candace doesn't like to play this game, but I play hide and seek with my kids every now and then. And I will count in the office on one end of the house, and they will scatter throughout and try and find somewhere to hide behind a door, in the pantry. One of them even lay in the bath the one day, like trying to, <laughs> like you can't see in the bath. One of them went in the washing basket and put the lid on top. Or they'll hide in the bed with the blanket over them and try and like lie still, whatever. And uh, the older two kids, they, this is a real competitive game. They don't want to be found. But Finley, who's three and a half, man, does he love to be found. Like you can walk into a room and, and you'll just hear a giggle. <laughs> Sometimes he jumps out, I found you, Dad, but, but I'm looking for you, you know? Or like you walk into the room or in the lounge, we've got some big curtains, and you'll just see like a foot sticking out the bottom. Like the curtain will ruffle kind of suddenly, you know? But he wants to be found. Finley's a bit like Jesus in that sense. He wants us to seek him, but he doesn't hide himself from us. He calls us to himself. Just an ending and I'm amazed at the band and the songs they sung because they didn't know what I was preaching on. One of the songs was, I searched the world, but I couldn't find satisfaction, right? Actually, outside of Jesus, we have nothing. And Jesus said these words about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. In other words, if we're feeding spiritually or the big things in our life on anything that's not Jesus, it won't satisfy. We will be hollow and empty. He says, I'm the living water. If you drink from me, you will have this well that springs up to eternal life. You'll be satisfied. If you drink water from any other well, you're going to thirst again. It's a metaphor. It's a spiritual picture. Friends, if we are drinking our purpose from anywhere else but Christ, it's not going to satisfy us. I discovered this the hard way before I started following Jesus. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, many of you know that, didn't go to church growing up. But when I got to university, boy, were a whole bunch of options available for me to try. And I tried romantic love. I can remember in my fourth year at university, I think I had, not at the same time, but in succession, <laughs> lest you get the wrong idea, four different girlfriends in one year. And I mean, this is not attractive. I mean, it's... Don't know how, they, maybe they were blind, I don't know, whatever. But I was looking for the love of God, the unconditional, fully acceptance love of God. I was trying to find it in a human. And four times that year, my heart got broken as I realized this can't fulfill me. It was part of how my story of coming to God, actually. And I tried pleasure and fun and parties and alcohol, even tried drugs didn't get addicted, I didn't go to rehab, but I tried them, trust me. Just didn't cut it. I was very successful at university and in the sports I was doing. I got top marks in the class, graduated summa cum laude, got lots of university bursaries. I was flush living off the varsity system. I made a profit out of UKZN. On the sporting side, I represented SA Under 21. I went overseas twice for international sporting events, came eighth in Africa, qualified for Olympics. And just for fun on the side, 
I was like a second Dan black belt. I had great success in life, but I would lie awake at night and think, what is this for? I'm empty and hollow. I was searching for meaning. Those things don't satisfy. I can tell you now, friends, success, money, fun, love of a human does not satisfy. It cannot. And then I found Jesus. <laughs> and suddenly my soul could drink from this living water. And life, like Paul, life was different. It was a watershed moment. God saved me. He rescued me. Turned my life around. Praise God for that day. Because now I'm drinking living water. I'm eating the bread of life. I've got something to aim for that will count in eternity. Can we stand? I want to pray for us as we close this morning's meeting. If you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes and just responding to God. He's talking to every one of us. I'm convinced of that fact. Father, this morning we, we want to repent, say we're sorry, turn away from these things that we used to run after that ultimately can't satisfy us. They leave us feeling empty inside, hollow, no fulfillment, no satisfaction, Lord God. We turn away from, we even turn away from our own righteous acts and we receive the fully purchased acceptance of God. Father, we can't do anything to impress you. But because of what Jesus has done, we are accepted by God on the basis of what Christ has done on the cross. Not on what we have done or what we will hope to do or what we promise to do or by our good intentions. We're accepted because of what Christ has done for us. Father, I pray that our hearts, like Paul, would break their fixation on all these things in the world that we prize, all the trophies, all the gains. And we would, like Paul, count them loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. If there's anyone here this morning where your life is not right with God, maybe you're running off after all these prizes, maybe you feel like you've drifted from God, maybe you've never had a moment where you've crossed the line of faith and believed in Jesus for your eternity. Even if there's one person here this morning, while all of our eyes are closed, if you know you need to get your life right with God, there were two people who did this last Sunday. If you know you need to come back to the Father, striving is not good enough. He accepts you. I'd love to pray with you this morning. And if that's you, if you want to put your faith in Jesus this morning, you want to come back to your maker rather than trying to make up your own life, just put up your hand very click, quickly where you are. Love to pray with you. Thank you. And at the back there. Anyone else? You know you need to get your life right with God this morning. Another hand over there. Thank you. That's wonderful. I'm going to say a short prayer. You can put your hands down. I'm going to say a short prayer. And you echo this prayer in your heart. And it's simply you putting your faith in Jesus for His acceptance, what He has done. Just repeat this after me in your heart. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. That he died on the cross 
that he took upon him the punishment for my sin, for my wrongdoing. That if I receive this salvation, I can have eternal life. I can be forgiven. I can be justified and stand before you just as if I'd never sinned, holy in your sight. Jesus, I receive your salvation this morning. I put my faith in you. Come and make me a new creation like you did to Paul. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give those guys a hand? Amen. Trust you've enjoyed this morning. If you don't have one of these books, please grab one. Day seven of the devotion tomorrow. If you're not in a life group, you're missing out on a big chunk of how we're processing our purpose. Please come and chat to me before you leave. I'd love to try and get you connected. Amen. Have a great week, everyone.